months. You're James, it'd be about 10 years. But uh, anyway, uh, James has a verse in the last, uh, last uh, four, chapter 4, verse 8. He says, draw near to God, and he would draw near to you. Praise the Lord. Thanks, Gretchen, for that. Good song, good song. Anyway, we're in chapter 1, <clears throat> James. As if I recollect right, which sometimes I don't, but if my memory serves me right, it was in 1968 that a movie came out that my brother encouraged me to see. Now, these were the B.C. days, so I'm not particularly recommended uh, that movie today, but the name of it, I'm sure some of you might have seen it, was called Cool Hand Luke. <coughs> oh, there's some other backsliders around here. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the movie opened up, if you remember, with the scene of, of Luke, played by Paul Newman. Now, he was quite intoxicated at the time, using a pipe cutter to cut off the heads of parking meters. And uh, in the middle of the night, in some little podunk town down to south, I guess, somewhere, and he had cut off several heads of the parking meters. You can see they're lined up on the highway or on the street. And uh, before the Cops caught up with him, spotlight came on him, and he was arrested for that crime, and so don't try it, and, uh, and he was eventually sentenced to two years in the state prison, and, uh, and the prisoners knows in that movie uh, what their job was, they were on a chain gang, uh, as you recall, some of you might recall, that uh, they built roads and repaired roads. <clears throat> well, when Luke arrived at the prison, the warden told him uh, pretty clearly what the rules were at the prison and what would happen, what the consequences would be if he ever broke some of those rules and what he was supposed to be addressed as and, uh, and the other guys that were over him, what they were supposed to call them, boss and a few things. But anyway, he, he tried to tell him what the consequence would be if he ever thought about escaping from his prison. But Luke being Luke, over the events uh, of times and loss of his mother and a few things kind of triggered his anger. And he broke that rule and eventually did escape. But he wasn't gone too long before he was re recaptured. And he was brought before the warden who took him to uh, where the other prisoners were working on the road. He quieted everybody down because he had a few words to say to them. And he wanted to make an example of Luke. And what would happen if you ever tried to escape from my prison? So Luke had, they put leg chains on him. And uh, he said some smart remark. And the, the warden, uh, he had a big stick with him. And he hit him a couple of times. And Luke rolls down the hill. And as Luke's down there uh, moaning and groaning on the ground, I'll, I'll never forget what the warden said. He stood above him. And uh, <laughs> those words that he said were just a few words. But uh, <clears throat> they stick with me to this day. And uh, he says, quote, what we have here is a failure to communicate. <laughs> and uh, otherwise, Luke didn't seem to hear what the, uh, what the, or comprehend exactly what the warden would do to him if he was ever escaped from his prison. Well, now, in your relationships with people, have you ever suffered from the failure to communicate? It's, it's really pretty common uh, for all of us. Uh, between employers and employees, perhaps we got a communication problem. You might have been on both ends. I had been. And uh, the boss tells you to do one thing, and 
you interpret it as this, and you thought you were doing the right thing, and, but that's not what he wanted to communicate to you, or vice versa. You were the boss, and you thought you told them what to do, and they're doing something completely different. Uh, communication. But maybe even between husband and wife, uh, that can happen. I'm sure it's happened a couple of times to you if you've been married 40, 50 years. And uh, a lack of communication is actually one of the main causes of, or leads back to divorce, lack of communication. And uh, between parents and children, there can be a communication problem. I'm sure you've been there. Uh, maybe when they're small, you can tell them what to do, and, and it works. But when they're looking you right in the eyeball, and, and uh, there might be a communication problem, what you're trying to tell them and what they're trying to tell you. Between neighbors. Friends, relatives, church people we can have communication problems with. Uh, As I was packing a field for the neighbor across the road here just a couple weeks ago, uh, he was kind of behind the eight balls, so he had, uh, I guess, about 75 acres he wanted me to pack as he seeded it. And uh, about noontime, he got up on the tractor with me, and he started bending my ear about another neighbor, our our neighbor, the joint, that he thought he had uh, uh, a verbal agreement that he was to lease the field from to five to seven years. But uh, after two years, after he had it nice and seated real well, the neighbor jerked it out from under him. And uh, boy, he was pretty hot under the collar. And it was communication problem. I said, well, you know, no matter neighbors or friends or relatives, we probably should have put everything in writing. And I'm sure he will from now on. But it all starts a lot of times with a lack of hearing, listening. And then it progresses uh, perhaps with quickness of words, and then it can be capped off many times with anger because of misunderstanding. Have you ever been told by a teenager or a spouse something like, uh, you're not listening to me? Or was I the only one that somebody said that to? <laughs> you're not listening. Well, I believe James can help us all here who lack the ability to communicate effectively. Uh, He will give us some very uh, practical, basic steps to make us better communicators if we'll just put those guidelines into action. It's a pretty simple message. It's a pretty simple truth that he put put to us right here, but uh, we can learn from it. Uh, He says communication is both speaking and listening. Most of us probably already know that. We're aware of that. But... uh, Uh, James takes it one step further here, and he says that it's highly important that we know when to speak and when to listen. So let's take our Bibles, uh, James uh, chapter 1, verse uh, 19 through 21. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word, James 1, 19. We'll pick it up here. This you know, my beloved brethren, verse 19, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God, verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. And Lord, it will speak to us. It has to me. So many times, we just praise you, God, for this book of James. He's uh, forward, direct, uh, pretty well says it. A lot of times, he hits us right between the eyes. We pray, oh God, that we're open to that, though. 
Let's, let's just set all the other stuff aside today that maybe what happened to us this morning, maybe somebody cut us off, the dog was barking too loud or something, and that kind of disturbed us. Maybe we got in a little spit with the wife on the way in. That didn't help our attitude. So, God, we pray that we just set all that aside now, and we hear, we listen for your voice, that you speak through me to your people whom, God, you love so much you died for, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated, folks. <clears throat> well, right off the bat, we see in verse 19 that uh, it implies the fact that we can pick up on three common problems uh, in the era of communication that uh, James gives us then three basic solutions to solving these problems. And problem number one is that we are often too slow to hear. We're too slow to hear. We listen very little, so way too little sometimes. We don't catch it all. Um, how well do you hear? How well do you listen? You know, uh, some of us as we get older, and I know some of you suffer from the same problem I do, and Lou says you're losing your hearing. Well, uh, <clears throat> sometimes it goes back to listening. How well do we listen? For example, have you ever had to ask someone to repeat their name more than once or twice? I thought I was the only one. But uh, why is that? Why do you suppose? Didn't they speak loud enough the first time? Sure they did. Sure they did. We just didn't listen the first time around. We didn't pay close enough attention when they told us their name. And it just went right by us, right over our head. Uh, When we have to ask the same question twice during the course of a conversation... Uh, that he's all he or she's already told us. We're not only telling that person that we're not listening, but that their answer wasn't very important to us. And therefore, they could even take a personal, they are not very important to us. Uh, I, I believe that there's three causes here that can hinder the hearing, our hearing ability. And number one is our mindset. We have mindsets, set ideas and beliefs that resist what's being said. You know, we, we put that wall up. A lot of times we don't know it. We're not open to what's being said. It can happen right here in the pulpit. You might, uh, you come, oh, a lot of folks come here from different churches, and they say, well, I heard what you said, Pastor, and not picking on me, I'll pick on Pastor Dan, he's not here. And, and uh, he said, well, I, I hear most of what you say, but I don't quite agree with that. So, we, bam, we set a wall up. Instead of just, hey, we're not all the same, let's listen to what he has to say. Pastor Dan has some great stuff to say, too. But uh, anyway, we have those mindsets. Number two that can, can uh, hinder our hearing ability is our prejudices. Uh, it can slow us down quite a bit. We all have those prejudices. We don't like to admit them sometimes, but we have them. We can be slow to hear because of them. And the third thing is self-centeredness, self-centeredness. Uh, we can't wait for them to just stop talking so that we can interject our thoughts, our ideas, our viewpoint. And sometimes we even interrupt, interrupt them because that's not really important. I'm going to tell you what I think, you know. And uh, a lot of times, Pastor Dan's mentioned it before, is that a lot of times we think, well, they're telling us they were in the hospital for three days. I'm going to tell them I've been in for six. You know, we can top that. We hurt, you hurt your knee. I got one knee replacement. I got two, you know. <laughs> so we but that's not true. I don't. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But anyway, 
So uh, we're always trying to top them or we relate to it, which is all right, but let's hear what they have to say. We're thinking of ourselves too much. Now, we may, we may be amazed at how much more effective uh, we would be in communication if we would set aside those mindsets, those prejudices, those self-centeredness, and begin to listen closely to what they have to say. Slow to hear. A common problem. Uh, James says the solution to this problem is very simple. He says it in verse 19. Let everyone be quick to hear. Quick to hear. Notice he says, let everyone. Uh, it implies that we all at times have hearing problems. We can all improve our listening skills by just being quicker to hear. Webster defines quick as swift, rapid, Hasty, impatient. Otherwise, we sit on the edge of our seat, just can't, impatient, can't wait for what that person tells us, what they're going to say to us. We can't wait to hear their name. They only have to speak at once. We can't wait to hear about their job, their work, what kind of work they do, <clears throat> their family, or their interests. And we can't wait to hear about their struggles and their problems. We just can't wait. And not only because their words are important to us, but because they are important to us. They themselves. When we do that, folks, and uh, you've had this happen and so have I, when we do that inside, you know, inside that person that they're trying to tell you something, inside they're thinking, wow, someone is listening. Someone really cares what I'm going through. Eye contact can help tremendously during that time, too. And I know, I've been here, I've, I've made these, oh, I've made all these mistakes, but I made these. You start talking to somebody, or they're talking to you about some situation, and you catch somebody walking by, and your eyes go there, and, you, and if you're doing the talking, you're thinking, well, they cut me off right there. They're not paying attention. Give them some eye contact. That really helps. Just focus it on them. You might miss five or ten people walking out the door, but you'll catch them next week. Assuming you don't drive them away. <clears throat> Jesus listened to the needs of people all the time. All the time. One of God's greatest characteristics is that he listens to us. He's available at all times to hear our prayers, to listen to our concerns. He doesn't keep office hours, nor does he require appointments from us. The psalmist put it clearly in Psalm 66, 19. He writes... But certainly God has heard. He has given heed to the voice of my prayer. God hears your prayer. Remember, there's two reasons, folks, that God gave us two ears and one mouth. And I'm sure some of you have heard some of this. He wants us to hear twice as much as we speak. But the other one you might not be too familiar with us. Or with. When we do hear something that should not be repeated, instead of letting it come out of our mouth, we're supposed to let it come out the other ear. See? Put a mental stopwatch on what your conversation with other people and keep track of how much you talk and how much you listen. When you talk too much or when we talk too much and we listen too little, we communicate to others that we don't think there are, or excuse me, we think our ideas are much more important than their ideas. And that's 
self-centered communication. Many times after a conversation uh, with someone, I can walk away and ask myself, did I find out more about them than they found out about me during our conversation? If, if they heard more about me in the course of our conversation, then I feel I have failed to communicate properly. I talk too much and uh, or wasn't quick to hear. And Lou says amen to that. <clears throat> that brings us to the next problem of communication. Problem number two, we are too quick to speak. Too quick to speak. Now, most of us do way too much talking and not enough listening. Proverbs 10, 19. I like this one. I think it's in your bulletin, in your notes. When there, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. And James says the solution to this problem is quite simple. He says to verse 19, be slow to speak. Now here's an example here of a person who learned that lesson. I cut it out of a magazine actually about a year ago when I was thinking about this sermon. So it's a little old, but it, it worked. A young man entered the abbey in hopes of becoming a brother. The abbot, or the head monk, whatever we want to call him, the abbot cautioned him that life in the abbey is difficult and that, is, and that in this particular order of brothers, they take a vow of silence and can only speak two words every five years. The man agreed. He took the vows very seriously. Five years went by. Five years later, he met with the abbot who advised him that he could speak his two words. Food cold, he says. <laughs> the, brother said, uh, the brother said he agreed. And he claimed to resolve the problem when he talked to the cook. Five more years passed. And the, man, and the brother met again with the abbot. And he said, bed hard. <laughs> the abbot agreed and to get the new mattress for the man. Another five years passed. It's 15 years now. Another five years passed, and the brother again met with the abbot. I'm leaving. <laughs> the brother said, I'm not surprised, replied the abbot. You've done nothing but complain ever since you've been here. Slow to speak. Well, we can be slower to speak, but I just think he had five years to think about what he's going to say. <clears throat> One thing that uh, can slow us down in our speech is to just to think before we speak. Uh, Proverbs 17, 28 says that even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. Have you ever been in a conversation with maybe more than one person, two or three people gathered around, and one or two of them just keep silent. And we can't tell if they're following the conversation, if we're speaking over their head, or if they really know what we're talking about and they don't want to put in their two cents. I like this. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. They might be way beyond us. Or if we don't know anything about it, keep still. <laughs> you know, it, it works. So when the adrenaline starts rising, starts getting up. The conversation seems to pick up steam. James says, slow down. Be slow to speak. Choose your words wisely. And that leads us then to the next, 
next problem that many of us face when we're when there's a failure to communicate problem number three we are too quick to anger quick to speak and quick to anger seems to go hand in hand but we all get angry at times don't we to be honest even god got angry at times check your old testament as well as the new god got quite angry with people because of idolatry a lot of times, disobedience. But most of us will have to admit, if someone was to hit the right button, we'll hit the roof. And uh, let's uh, see what James says in these verses then pertaining to anger. In verse 19, he says, then be slow to anger. And in verse 20, he says, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Apparently, He's speaking here of two different kinds of anger. Verse 19, anger seems to be permissible. He says, be slow to anger. And while verse 20, he says, the anger of God, uh, excuse me, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Verse 20, it said, then it shows that anger is not recommended. Is there a contradiction here? No. No, I don't believe so. Paul wrote in, in Colossians 3.8 that we are to put aside anger wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from our mouth. And then, yet we are all familiar with Paul's writings later on in Ephesians 4, 6, where he writes, Be angry, and yet do not let the, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, I've known of married couples, and perhaps you have too, and maybe it's this is yours, is they've made a vow when they got married that they would not let the sun go down on their anger. I think it's a good idea. Um, so anger is to be short-lived. But there seems to be a righteous anger and an unrighteous anger here. Uh, notice verse 20. It says, The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. The key here, folks, is uh, the anger of man. It seems that man's anger is contrary to the anger of God. God's anger is righteous anger. God does does get angry, we know that. But his anger is kindled by the sin of man. I said, idolatry, check that. God got fed up to his neck with uh, the people in Noah's day. I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth. God got fed up with those Israelites that constantly disobeyed. Moses, I'm going to start all over with you, he says. No, Moses interjected, no, God, you can't do that. Word might get around. And so he stood the gap. God's anger was righteous. He does get angry, but over the sin of man. And so ask yourself, is it the sin of man that uh, kindles my anger most of the time? Or is it my own ego? Does my anger erupt when my ego is bruised? Most of the time, I can say, yes, that's when I get angry. It's when it attacks me. Behavioral scientists tell us that man's anger is usually a result of inner frustration. Think about it. Can the cause of a lot of your anger be tied back to some inner frustration, some frustration within? Years ago, I performed the wedding of my youngest son, Bruce, and his wife, Amber. <clears throat> well, when his wife, yeah, but well, so I did the wedding. And uh, and he decided, along with my son-in-law, uh, Doug, and, and Annette, my daughter, 
They decided to go partners in a dairy business. Well, I'd already had some cows. I had about 60, 65 cows at that time. They wanted to increase the herd to about 150 milk cows. So uh, I said, well, fine, if you guys want to do it, it's going to take a lot of work. And we started knocking, uh, breaking up concrete and a few things, knocking out walls because they wanted to build a bigger parlor and all kinds of things. Anyway, they had great ideas. But I told them the biggest problem was that we would have a shortage of hay because we only had 106 acres, and about then I had about 75 in alfalfa. And and, uh, it worked fine for 50 or 60 cows plus that many heifers, but... But I says, it'll never work for that many cows. So you're going to have to think about where you're going to purchase some hay or how you're going to do that. Just kind of put a bug in their ear. Well, the bottom line is we had a church already at that time down in Sanders, Idaho. We'd been pastoring there for a few years. Let's see, we started in 82, and this was about 85. So anyway, uh, uh, but I would run, Lou and I would run back after Sunday evening service. I had Sunday evening service, get in the car and drive the 115 miles up to the farm. And help the boys out uh, with wherever we could help, milk or whatever. Well, I came up once, and, and uh, they needed somebody to bale the hay. They had other things to do. So I ran out in the baler, and I, I started baling hay like crazy. Uh, and uh, so that was fine. The next week, I come there, and the same hay was sitting out in the field. Now I got angry, I want to tell you, because I said, uh, guys, you can't do this. I says, every bale counts, and, uh, you know, the old saying, you've got to make hay with the sunshine, and the sun's only been shining here a few weeks. We're very fortunate. I, I had an inner frustration for sure because that hay was still in the field. And I voiced that frustration to my youngest son as him and I went out to pick up some hay. In fact, we were yelling at each other at the top of our lungs. I had to shut the tractor off so we could hear each other yell. <laughs> and... Uh, and I remember, I, I remember this to this day. I, I reached up, I, sh- I pulled the lever to shut the diesel off the tractor, and I turned around, and Bruce is sitting on the front of the hay wagon and tears running down his face. And I said, what's the problem? He says, Dad, you don't understand. He says, Amber says she's going to lose it. I, I performed that wedding. I did all the counseling. <laughs> and they were only married about three months, max, maybe two months. And uh, I said, no. He says, yeah, she's, she's not cut out to be a farmer's wife. And she's a city girl. And uh, she says, it's either me or the farm, but I'm out of here. Well, I, for once, they said something wise. And I remember saying to him, I said, Bruce, no farm is worth breaking up a marriage. I said, you do everything you can to glue this thing together. A couple of days later, I saw his little pickup heading down the road towards Spokane, him and his wife together. And uh, I'm glad to say, folks, this, uh, the 18th of May, this, what, 14 days from today, they'll be celebrating their 29th anniversary, wedding anniversary, and they've had a good marriage, at least for 28 and a half years, (laughs) 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 until I got out of the picture, they were fine. So, uh, yeah, we just visited them down in Tucson, they're doing great, so... Anyway, I'm sure they've had their ups and downs besides this time. But uh, praise the Lord, it worked out. There can be a failure to communicate when we don't voice what's at the root of our anger, that inner frustration. The Bible tells us when Jesus threw those money changers out of the temple, you're familiar with the story, he was angry. 
And I see another place in Mark chapter 3, verse 5. It says he was angry at the Pharisees. You whitewashed walls, you hypocrites. He called them about everything he could think of uh, because they were so hard on the people, hanging a lot of rules and regulations on them. But I want to tell you, when Jesus threw them out of the temple, was it self-centered, egotistical anger, or was it because of the sins of man that kindled that anger? He said, you're making my house a den of thieves or a den of robbers, whichever your translation might say. That's righteous anger, folks. That's the righteous anger of God, not the unrighteous anger of man. Now, let's look again at verse 21. Interesting verse. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Now, the word therefore, you see here, ties in these previous verses that James is talking about, verse 19 and 20, therefore. In short, James says, our quick words, our outbursts of anger, reveal the true person within us. That hurts. And that needs to change. Uh, When we blow up our top, expressing the anger that's within us, we may not only surprise others with our words, but we also can surprise would surprise ourselves many times uh, what with we say. We even walk away if you're like me and you say, why did I say that? Why did I ever say that? Well, if you're wondering, uh, just if you read the newspapers, just this last week, this Ronald Sterling of the L.A. Clippers, I'm sure he said that. Why did I say that? Uh, the owner of the Clippers there. And, you know, it's in the papers all the time. It's on our news all the time. People with their foot in their mouth. We just hear about the celebrities. What about us? I'm glad they don't put us in the news. You know, why did we say that? James says, as Christians, it's time to put it off, to put aside, to get rid of, the NIV says, of all that moral filth. That's the way it puts it there. The evil that is so prevalent in our lives. Remember, folks, he's talking to Christians here. Don't just blacken out those verses and say, that's non-Christians he's talking. No, no. Check the context he's talking to Christians. Get rid of that those unwholesome words, that unrighteous anger, and all that remains of wickedness within. Now that'll take some effort on our part. That will take some effort. And we got the Holy Spirit power to help us with that. We just have to call on him. There was a time when all that stuff, that filthiness, that unrighteous anger, all that stuff was part of our lives. Those were the BC dates. But now we have been born again, born again Christian. That filth and wickedness that's in our heart must be replaced by the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Self-control, emphasize. Galatians 5.22. Against those, there's no law, Paul says, if you keep those. Also, James says, the key of changing our ways is to receive the word implanted, he says, which is able to save your soul here in verse 21. The Word of God has a cleansing effect uh, on our hearts and our minds. And may I ask, our mouth. I mean, may I add that to our mouth too. It has a cleansing effect. Most of us have have memorized uh, Psalm 119, verse 11. You could probably repeat it. Thy word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee, O Lord. You hide that word in your heart. I'm convinced 
We will never grow as a Christian unless we saturate our lives with the Word of God. And yet, I read recently here in this book that I've got on integrity of David Jeremiah, he says contrary to that, <clears throat> that we're not reading the Word of God. USA Today reported the poll showing that only 11% of, of Americans, now we're talking Americans, read the Bible every day, 11%. More than half read it less than once a month or not at all. The Barna Research Group conducted a survey that focused only on born-again Christians and came up with the following statistics. Only 18%, less than two in every 10, excuse me, read the Bible every day. Two in every 10, 18%. Worst of all, 23%, almost one in four professing Christian say they never read the Word of God. So, that may fit you, you know. It's you've got to read God's Word. It has a cleansing effect on our hearts. We'll never get victory over these weaknesses that James points out here in this verse 19 until the Word of God is implanted within us. Implanted means to welcome the Word into our hearts with anticipation, with excitement. What do you have for me today, Lord? Have you ever come to the Lord and said that before you started opening that Bible? What do you got for me? I've read this several times, Lord, but what's new for you today in our daily reading? We just can't wait to hear what he has to say to us. We expect a word from God. We're quick to hear what he has to say to us, what his words are to us. Just this scripture that I was studying for, the, for this message I never saw this before. And I, I mean, I, I got this, this page is a war out in this Bible. And I've got a few of them that are war out. But I don't, I never saw this. And that's verse 19. He says, in this translation, I know it says different in King James, a few of them, it says, beginning of verse 19, this you know, my beloved brethren. Otherwise, I'm not telling you anything new, James says. This you already know. I said, well, that makes sense because that's a pretty simple uh, reading here, pretty simple truth that he's given us. But we have to hear it time and time again, don't we? Because pretty soon we start paraphrasing and we don't quite get it all right. At least that's what I do. I don't know if that's what you do. But it's, it, nothing beats word for word. But let, us, let me warn you, folks. Sometimes his word re will rebuke us. Sometimes it will com convict us. Because of our life or our lifestyle doesn't quite line up with God's word. It goes against his word. In that case, we can respond in two different ways. We can, number one, we can be quick to anger about what we read. We can shut that Bible down, set it up on the shelf, forget about it. We don't want to read any more of that. It's too convicting. Or we can receive the word with humility. That's what he says here in verse 21. We can change our ways. We can repent. And as Pastor Dan mentioned a few weeks ago now, it's hard for us to change. In fact, John, what was it, uh, Mark Twain, he says, uh, the only one I've heard that uh, enjoys a change is a wet baby. So <clears throat> that can happen. But we've got to change our ways. And that means repent. I had a habit of, as a pastor of different churches, because I'm not a very good reader. I think you probably picked up on that. I kind of stumbled through it. 
And uh, so I usually had, if there was more than two or three verses to read on a Sunday morning, I'd, I'd ask somebody from the congregation, usually a man from the congregation, if he had read scripture, I'd just pick out different guys, which was the habit I had when we had a church down in Moreno Valley, California. And I remember I asked Dave uh, to read the scripture for the following Sunday. I was preaching at Haggai. And uh, I said, Dave, uh, could you read the scripture? Sure, Pastor. Uh, what's the scripture I told him? He called me on Saturday night and he says, uh, uh, I won't be reading that. And I says, oh. He says, uh, yeah. He says, uh, I won't even be there. He says, I think you're picking on me. And uh, he, he said, you knew I was building a house. You know, Haggai, I don't know if you remember. It's only two chapters long. But he talks about uh, God uh, kind of got chastises the people a little bit because they live in these fine paneled house. And my, my temple is going to, going to pot, more or less. <laughs> not not, uh, not uh, Colorado pot, but... Uh, going, going, you know, and he says, uh, it's time you set that aside and work on my house. Well, I can't, I couldn't see where that had anything to do. We were using a rented facility in a church that was really in good shape compared to some of the places we were using for churches. We were using theaters, and sometimes they were pretty bad. But we were in a nice little church. But it seemed to hit him right between the eyes. Uh, he says, you knew I was building a house, and he even took us through it a few weeks prior to that. So I don't know if I was playing the Holy Spirit or, or he was under conviction, but uh, he refused to, uh, to come back. I never did. Him and his wife, nice folks, and a baby boy. I told, uh, I told Pastor Dan, I said, if you ever want to read a book, I'm thinking about reading, writing a book on how to empty a church. I can, <laughs> I've, I've got a few ways to do that, but he seems to want to build them up. So, and don't be discouraged. He'll be back here next week. Uh, how do you react when you hear God's word? How do you act? Do you act, uh, especially if it's convicting, in anger or humility, which is able to save your soul, James says. God wants to communicate, folks, to each of us through his word so that we can communicate his words to others more effectively. That's the purpose. Uh, did he point out any weakness in your life this morning? through this portion of scripture, he sure did me. And like I say, I'm familiar with it. But I need to hear it more than once. Uh, I, as I prepared the message, he spoke to my heart. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, Jim. How about you? Uh, I've asked Gretchen to play a song here for me. And, and, and the words, the reason I picked out this song is... is uh, the first verse of this song, I'm sure you're familiar with it. I'll grab this other mic. Testing one, two, three. Okay. I can't hear up here. Anyway, the first verse of this song is as I'm sure you're familiar with it, I am weak, but thou art strong. We're, we're weak in some areas, aren't we? The Lord has to talk to us. So, Gretchen. <laughs> I am weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. 
satisfied as long as I walk. Let me walk close to thee, just a closer walk with thee. Grant it, Jesus, is my plea. Daily walking close to thee, let it be, dear Lord, let it be. Through this world of toil and snares, if I falter, Lord, who cares? Who with me my burden shares? None but thee, dear Lord, none but thee. When my feeble life is old, time for me will be no more. Guide me gently, safely home to thy kingdom shore, to thy shore. Just a closer walk with thee. Grant it, Jesus, is my plea. Daily walking close to thee, let it be, dear Lord, let it be, let it be, dear Lord, let it be. Let's stand while I would have prayer. Father God, you're good to us. How patient you are with us. We blow it time and time again. And yet you're there to brush us off and pick us up and help us start all over again if we'll just come to you for help. Not let that pride get in the way. God, we blew it. We might have to go back and apologize. We were a little too quick with our tongue. And we just pray, oh God, just slow us down help us think. We were a little too quick with that anger, Lord. We let, the, we let our own ego drive us to anger instead of the sins of man. God, help us keep those separated. We pray perhaps there's someone here today, Lord, who says, I, I really need that strength. I really need God's strength to carry through those times when I'm so weak. Maybe you, my friend, would just like to talk to the Lord right now in the silence of your own heart. He hears your prayers. Remember, he's listening right now. Thank you, Lord, for hearing us. Praise you, God. What a God that loves us so much that he came down on this earth, put up with all the junk you had to put up for 33 years, and then go to that cross, God, because you loved us so much. That's a love we don't understand. But, God, you did it for us.
And we just praise you for that today. We pray, God, you'll go with each person today. Give them strength, God, where they're weak. And we'll give you the glory right now for what you're going to do in their life, how you're going to change them. And, God, let us be open to change. Let us be open to repent and say, God, forgive me. Or a friend, forgive me. I was way out of line. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.